And I would ask you to turn to the book of Ephesians, where we will simply be looking at the introduction, the first two verses of Ephesians chapter 1. And I entitled this message, A Complete Church. And there are three points that we'll be noticing here in just a few moments after we pray and read and pray. You have Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, or the messenger. You have the saints, which is what we are. And then you have grace and peace. And that, at least from the standpoint of the introduction in Ephesians here, and some of the other introductions, that makes a complete church. So let us pray and ask God to bless us as we delve into these two verses of the book of Ephesians. Our God and Father in heaven, we praise and we thank you, Lord, for your work in our lives. We would not be here today were it not for your grace reaching out to us and saving us and also placing us in the church of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for this refuge today and pray that we will be strengthened and encouraged as we uh, worship you and as we fellowship one with the other and as we learn from your precious and powerful word. We ask and praise you for this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So Ephesians 1, we'll just be looking at the first two verses where Paul introduces himself as Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. In a little while, we'll just look at a few, a couple of other introductions in Paul's uh, other letters, Philippians, Colossians. But this is a familiar introduction uh, to us. We usually read past these early verses in a New Testament letter so that we can get on to the, uh, to the, the real meat of, of each letter. Uh, but there is so much here for us today, uh, just the first couple of verses. And so, as I mentioned, you have here a, a complete church. You have Paul, who's the writer, and he identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So Paul is not some self-appointed man or some person who uh, exalted himself to a position uh, in with men, with people, with churches. No, he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then he writes to the saints. And they are also described in a wonderful way. To the saints, which are at Ephesus, their location, and to the faithful, or they are the faithful ones in Christ Jesus. So Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and the saints are also called according to Christ, and they are faithful. As he writes to them, he's obviously endeared to them. And then the wish or the prayer in verse 2, which is familiar in uh, Paul's letters or Peter's letters, is grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's talk about these three parts of a complete church. And the first is Paul. Now, Paul is the messenger, and this is what apostle means. And you realize that there would be no Christianity at all unless Christ, the messenger, come from heaven and preach this gospel, which he did. Christ is the messenger. And Christ came, and as a result, we have what we affectionately call Christianity. 
But there would be no Christianity without the messenger who is Christ. Also, there would be no church without the apostles. There just would be no church anywhere without Paul and the other apostles. You would not have salvation. Except that someone came and brought the gospel to you. Maybe it was your mother, father, growing up in the Christian home. Or as in my case, when I was 19 years old, it was a messenger, a young man, whom I remember well, who brought the gospel to me. And so here we're talking about the messenger, about Paul, the apostle. And we want to mention, talk about two things under this point. The first is the general subject of apostles. Now, Paul was one of the 12 apostles. He called himself as an apostle born of due time. So he was not one of the original 12 apostles. But these 12 apostles have a significant number. There's nothing special or magical about the number 12 or why we have a dozen eggs or 12 months in the year. But with the apostles, there is a significance to this number. And it is symbolic of Israel. Because Israel consisted of 12 tribes. And when they came into the land under Joshua, that piece of real estate which God was claiming was divided up into 12 portions, 12 tribes. And then when Christ comes as the messenger of the Christian faith, lo and behold, he chooses 12, 12 apostles. Turn with me to the book of Revelation. I'd like to read, I'd like to read chapter 21 and just a little bit of chapter 22 to help you to see the significance of the number 12. <clears throat> Numbers in the Bible have significance because God assigns them significance, like the number 7, which is the creation number, or the number 3, which is the number of persons in the Trinity, or 40. 40 days of testing, 40 days of trial. But here the number 12 is significantly described in Revelation 21, where John the writer, the apostle, says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, <clears throat> New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it is, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and ye shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars 
shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was unto like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal, and had a wall. Now he's describing this new city where we will all dwell in Christ. And now notice the description here. It had a wall, great and high, and 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels. And names were written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And in them, notice, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. 12 gates, 12 tribes, 12 foundations. A foundation with 12 names. He that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed. 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof and 140 and four cubits according to the measure of a man that is of the angel. That's 12 by 12. And the building of the wall of it was jasper and the city was pure gold like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold as it was transparent glass. And I saw no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. Notice the twelve again. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and they shall, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So the symbolic number of the apostles, Paul, an apostle, Jesus Christ by the will of God. So we talked about their number and the significance. <clears throat> and then you have their appointment. Remember the story of their appointment 
in uh, Mark chapter 3 and verse 4. You don't need to turn to it, but Jesus there uh, appointed those 12 apostles to be with him and to preach and to have authority. There were three things in this appointment. To be with him, follow him, learn from him so they could be like him, preach, and also have authority. The authority of the kingdom, the authority to heal the sick, and even to raise the dead. Their function was the function of a messenger, or an emissary, or like an ambassador, or a servant, and a steward, so that when Christ sends the messenger, it's as if Christ is right there in what the messenger is saying. So he said to his apostles at one point, if they don't receive you, they don't receive me. If they receive you, they receive me. And this is a principle that carries through in all of life. If a parent tells one child to tell the other child, or give the other child some instruction from the parent through the brother or the sister, the word of that brother or sister has authority because it comes from mom or dad. And so we've talked about the apostles, their number, their office, their function. And now we want to see that there has been a, a transition, a very important transition in the kingdom of God from apostles to elders. Paul talks about the foundational position of the apostles in this book. You could probably guess the verse, Ephesians 2 and verse 20. And this book of Ephesians also talks about the transition from apostles to elders. So I am not an apostle. Pastor Tate is not an apostle. We are pastors. We are elders in the churches of Jesus Christ, but we are not apostles. We do not have the authority of the apostles. The apostles' authority has been deposited in the word of God, so we merely preach the word. But in Ephesians 2 and verse 20, Paul said that the household of God is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. We are part of the building, verse 21. This building that Christ is building, even today, is a holy temple for Jews and Gentiles to worship together. But the apostles were the foundation. But when you go on to chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, you see that there has been a transition, not a change, but a transition, a development from apostles to pastors and teachers. So here you find uh, Ephesians 4, verse 7. Paul says, To every one of us grace is given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led, captive. he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now that he ascended, what is it? is it, but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. That just means he came down to the earth. Verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And there, pastors and teachers go together. So a pastor is a teacher in this list here. So you have some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, or some pastors slash teachers. It's one office. 
for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So it's a beautiful thing to see, a development. You know, the Bible is all about the development of God's kingdom in the world. And now we see the fullness of that development, that we're still fulfilling it in a way, but it's it, it, the work has been done for us, and we're just building on it. But it's a beautiful development here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul is one of those 12 apostles, like the 12 tribes of Israel. Their, their position is... is memorialized in the new Jerusalem or heaven 12 tribes 12 apostles but now that since the apostles have passed from the scene and the apostolic office has ceased so has the prophetic office we talk about cessationism we're referring to the cessation of the apostolic and the prophetic office but something continues and that is pastors shepherds teachers who have authority it's a derived authority, and that's why the New Testament declares to God's people, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your soul. It's just submitting to them and obeying them insofar as they bring you as messengers the word of God and make their work a joy. Now, just real, real quickly, other greetings you have. Uh, turn to the next book, Philippians. Philippians 1. Interestingly, in in this greeting, Paul talks about the deacons. So they are part of this uh, this organization of, of church life. Uh, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, or the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you have in the next book, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, a complete church, Paul, or apostles, and in our case, elders, deacons, Secondly, you have the saints. Now notice the location here of the saints. The saints are located. These saints are not located in Brooklyn, New York, but in Ephesus, an Asian city, a great Asian city. You remember that when Paul preached the gospel, it was first with uh, uh, Silas and then later with Timothy and others, that especially in the early part, he was booted out of just about every city that he entered into, especially for our second missionary journey, Philippi, Thessalonica. He was there for a little while and they threw them, threw them out and they persecuted them or put them in jail. But Ephesus was different. Ephesus was a place that Paul greatly desired to visit. And initially, the, the Spirit forbade them to go into Ephesus. And he promised, and just in passing through, that he would return to them. And he did. And he spent three years in that great city. He spent two years in Rome, which was the ultimate city of the New Testament age. However, he was in prison. He was under house arrest. But in Ephesus, he was completely free. Three years of ministry. Ephesus in the Bible is like in the shadow of Rome. And you remember that in the letters of John the Apostle or the letters from the Holy Spirit to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, which church comes first? Ephesus, Ephesus, 
And so they are located in Ephesus, but their composition, or they are called saints. The word saints means to be chosen or to be called. And so when you think of yourselves, yourself, or when we think of our churches consisting of apostles or, or apostles, then pastors, teachers, deacons, and then you have saints, beloved people of God. That's how we should view ourselves, the way the Lord views us. We have a lot, we have many faults, many flaws. Sometimes we get under each other's skin in, in the churches. But remember, we are saints. Not saints in the, I grew up as, and the Lord converted me out of Roman Catholicism. It's nothing like that. When we talk about saints, we're just referring to those whom God has chosen, those whom God has called, those whom God has, upon whom they, he has set his love, upon, in whom he is working. So even with all the imperfections that saints have, and even in the many offenses that we, 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 we commit toward one another, remember, we are still chosen of God. When you see a brother or a sister in the church that rubs you the wrong way or with whom you have some difficulty, you have some difficulty communicating, let's say, or you've had some bumps in your relationship. Just remember, they are still saints, chosen and called by God. Paul uses that interesting expression in, in Romans that each man stands or falls to, to his own master. He says, stop judging your brother. In other words, stop picking on your brother. Stop being critical of everything. For each man will stand to his own master. Because why? Because we are saints. We are chosen. We are called. So under the second point, in a complete church, the saints, we've talked about their location. We've talked about the composition of the church. We are saints. And thirdly, under this point, Paul talks about their character, their character, the most important thing, the character. What kind of people are they? And here he describes them as faithful in Christ Jesus. Just that. They are saints, they are at Ephesus, and they are the faithful ones. He's not talking about two classes of people, those who are saints and those who are faithful. No, it's the same group. The saints at Ephesus or at Brooklyn, at City View or Lumberton are faithful in Christ Jesus. Faithful in Christ Jesus. Found faithful. Notice and turn with me to and notice uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 1. Here, Paul tells us, what it means to be faithful. Now Paul is talking about the apostles, he is talking about himself and the apostolic band, but he says, let a man so account us as servants of Christ or ministers that is servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But this applies to us as well, because we are also stewards. Remember the parable of the, uh, the talents, which applies to everyone. And so the Lord has given you either five talents or 
two talents or one talent. This is just referring to his his gifts, his the blessings that he gives to us, opportunities we have. And according to the parable of the talents, we are to take our talent, whether it's just one or whether it's two or whether it's five or whether it's 20 or 100. And the issue there is that we're to use whatever the Lord gave us and work with it, develop it. In the language of the parable, if it's money, invest it. Your life, invest your life using the blessings that God has given to you. But what's the issue there in the, in the parable? And what is the issue here with the apostles? And what is the issue behind Ephesians 1 and verse 2? It's that we be faithful, faithful. And remember, Jesus said that he was faithful in a little thing, is faithful also in much. So the point is, dear brethren, is to just be faithful with everything, no matter how big or how small it is in your life. Be faithful. That's what these saints were. Paul took great joy in the saints in the churches. Some churches caused him more problems, obviously, and he tried to cover over that like the Corinthian church. He tried to cover that over with a blanket of love and just tell them how much he loved them how God had blessed them. But other churches brought Paul great joy, like the church in Philippi. That We call that the joyful church. And that church really ministered to Paul. So they were faithful. So in a complete church, you have Paul, you have saints. And thirdly, we see grace and peace. Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, Paul is saying, I wish you, or I pray that you will receive grace and peace. Because notice, the sender of this grace and peace is God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, now Paul. So these are the conveyors of this grace and peace. So Paul is writing this letter to convey grace and peace to them. So let's just talk about these two blessings for just a little bit here, grace and peace. First of all, when Paul says, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, he is in the same chapter or in his next words going to describe what this grace is. For example, in verse 6, Paul says that this grace is freely bestowed by God, freely given to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So this grace is freely given by God. He gives it freely, lavishly, not miserly, not stingily, but generously. He gives this grace and Paul is saying, I write so that you may have this grace. Also in verse seven, this grace is richly beneficial. It makes you rich. It's beneficial in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. These, this grace conveys riches, blessings. He will later go on to talk about all of our, I'm sorry, he talked uh, earlier about verse 3. Blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You see, richly beneficial. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. 
this grace comes to us through the kindness in Christ. Verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through, through Christ Jesus. So it's, it's more than a wish. We, we wish people well all the time. And it's more than a wish in this case. It's, it's more like a ministry. It's like a ministry. And that's the way it should be with us. Instead of just wishing people well and, oh, have a good day, and, and, and just common wishes that we sow in the world, we should have this as more of a ministry of showing grace to people, the grace of God in Christ, sharing the love of God, sharing the grace of Christ with others, living it out in our lives, and also sharing it, a ministry. That's what it was with Paul. And of course, when he says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. You have the rest of the letter. The letter shows you how. He hopes to convey this grace to them. He's going to explain it. He's going to apply it. But then he talks about peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This this is a, a beautiful one. I think it's a little more personal with Paul, this peace, because Paul, you remember, was Paul was a very agitated man. He was a very, he, he calls himself aggressive in the pastoral epistles uses the word hubris, pride, arrogance. And Paul was arrogant and proud. He was, the, he was at the very top of Phariseeism. And he describes that in the book of Philippians, just how far he went in Phariseeism, above all his countrymen. And then when Christ came, he took Christ on as his opponent. Imagine taking Christ on as your opponent. Imagine starting, a, starting to fight against Christ. What, what Paul did, and then he fought against the Christians as well. He hauled them off dragged them off so that he could put them to death, went into their homes, disturbed them, intimidated them. But Paul found peace, the peace of Christ. And Paul was at peace. And Paul then expounded this peace. He he explained it. He talks about it in Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 22, which we don't have time to read. He, He explains that God has taken these two races of people, Jews and Gentiles, who were at animosity against each other. There was an offense there. The offense was the law. The law was the offense between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles hated Jews because of this law. And the Jews hated the Gentiles because they were common and heathen, Gentile, unclean. They hated each other. And God made of these two one, thus establishing peace. So that when you come to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he then exhorts the church in Ephesus to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So all of this is found in what we call the wish or the prayer or the invocation that opens this letter. And the basis of this grace and peace, which I've just described, is that the basis is... God the Father. It's it's sovereign. This grace and this peace comes to us according to the sovereign will and purpose of God. But it also comes 
in the Lord Jesus Christ, in all that he is and all that he has done. And so we rejoice that this grace and this peace has sovereignly been passed on to us. And we should strive seriously and soberly to receive this grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and share it with one another. Let's pray. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for the openings of the New Testament letters. And Lord, I pray that today we just have received some insight into just how rich the opening words of a letter in the New Testament really are. Thank you for this grace and peace that has come to us in Christ. Help us now to rejoice in it, to share it, and help us, Lord, to make it a ministry in our lives that we will always seek to convey grace and peace to one another. Not trouble, not division, not strife, Lord, not discouragement, um, no malice, no envy, Lord, none of those sins that Paul talks about in this letter, but help us, Lord, to be pure and all harmonious and, and, and make your holy temple a blessing, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.